0: SECTION 4 OF JOURNAL OF A RESIDENCE ON A GEORGIAN PLANTATION, 1838-1839 to This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White JOURNAL OF A RESIDENCE ON A GEORGIAN PLANTATION, 1838-1839 to By Francis Ann Kimball section four at the upper end of the row of houses and nearest to our overseer's residence is the hut of the head driver let me explain by the way his office the negroes as i before told you are divided into troops or gangs as they are called at the head of each gang is a driver who stands over them whip in hand while they perform their daily task who renders an account of each individual slave and his work every evening to the overseer, and receives from him directions for their next day's tasks. Each driver is allowed to inflict a dozen lashes upon any refractory slave in the field, and at the time of the offence. They may not, however, extend the chastisement, and if it is found ineffectual, their remedy lies in reporting the unmanageable individual either to the head driver or the overseer the former of whom has power to inflict three dozen lashes at his own discretion and the latter as many as he himself sees fit within the number of fifty which limit however i must tell you is an arbitrary one on this plantation appointed by the founder of the estate major blank mr blank's grandfather many of whose regulations indeed i believe most of them are still observed in the government of the plantation Limits of this sort, however, to the power of either driver, head-driver, or overseer, may or may not exist elsewhere. They are, to a certain degree, a check upon the power of these individuals. But in the absence of the master, the overseer may confine himself within the limit, or not, as he chooses, and as for the master himself, where is his limit? He may, if he likes, flog a slave to death for the laws which pretend that he may not, are a mere pretense, inasmuch as the testimony of a black is never taken against a white. And upon this plantation of ours, and a thousand more, the overseer is the only white man, so whence should come the testimony to any crime of his? With regard to the oft-repeated statement that it is not the owner's interest to destroy his human property, it answers nothing, the instances in which men to gratify the immediate impulse of passion sacrifice not only their eternal but their evident palpable positive worldly interest are infinite nothing is commoner than for a man under the transient influence of anger to disregard his worldly advantage and the black slave whose preservation is indeed supposed to be his owner's interest may be will be and is occasionally sacrificed to the blind impulse of passion to return to our head driver, or as he is familiarly called, headman Frank, he is second in authority only to the overseer and exercises rule alike over the drivers and the gangs, in the absence of the sovereign White Man from the estate, which happens whenever Mr. blank visits the other two plantations at Woodville and St. Simon's. He is sole master and governor of the island, appoints the work, pronounces punishments, gives permission to the men to leave the island—without it they never may do so—and exercises all functions of undisputed mastery over his fellow-slaves, for you will observe that all this while he is just as much a slave as any of the rest. Trustworthy, upright, intelligent, he may be flogged to-morrow, if Mr. Blank or Mr. Blank so please it, and sold the next day like a cart-horse at the will of the latter. Besides his various other responsibilities, he has the key of all the stores, and gives out the people's rations weekly. Nor is it only the people's provisions that are put under his charge. Meat, which is only given out to them occasionally, and provisions for the use of the family are also entrusted to his care. Thus you see, among these inferior creatures, their own masters yet look to find, surviving all their best efforts to destroy them, good sense honesty self-denial and all the qualities mental and moral that make one man worthy to be trusted by another from the imperceptible but inevitable effect of the sympathies and influences of human creatures towards and over each other frank's intelligence has become uncommonly developed by intimate communion in the discharge of his duty with the former overseer a very intelligent man who has only just left the estate after managing it for nineteen years the effect of this intercourse and of the trust and responsibility laid upon the man are that he is clear-headed, well-judging, active, intelligent, extremely well-mannered, and being respected, he respects himself. He is as ignorant as the rest of the slaves, but he is always clean and tidy in his person with a courteousness of demeanor far removed from servility and exhibits a strong instance of the intolerable and wicked injustice of the system under which he lives, having advanced thus far towards improvement in spite of all the bars it puts to progress and here being arrested not by want of energy want of sense or any want of his own but by being held as another man's property who can only thus hold him by forbidding him further improvement when i see that man who keeps himself a good deal aloof from the rest in his leisure hours looking with a countenance of deep thought as i did to-day over the broad river which is to him as a prison wall to the fields and forests beyond not one inch or branch of which his utmost industry can conquer as his own or acquire and leave an independent heritage to his children i marvel what the thoughts of such a man may be i was in his house to-day and the same superiority in cleanliness comfort and propriety exhibited itself in his dwelling as in his own personal appearance and that of his wife a most active trustworthy excellent woman daughter of the oldest and probably most highly respected of all mr s slaves to the excellent conduct of this woman and indeed every member of her family both the present and the last overseer bear unqualified testimony as i was returning towards the house after my long morning's lounge a man rushed out of the blacksmith's shop and catching me by the skirt of my gown poured forth a torrent of self-gratulations on having at length found the right missus they have no idea of course of a white person performing any of the offices of a servant and as throughout the whole southern country the owner's children are nursed and tended and sometimes suckled by their slaves i wonder how this inferior milk agrees with the lordly white babies the appearance of blank with my two children had immediately suggested the idea that she must be the missus many of the poor negroes flocked to her paying their profound homage under this impression and when she explained to them that she was not their owner's wife the conclusion in their minds seemed very great heaven only knows whether they did not conclude that they had two mistresses and mr blank two wives for the privileged race must seem in their eyes to have such absolute masterdom on earth that perhaps they thought polygamy might be one of the sovereign white men's numerous indulgences the ecstasy of the blacksmith on discovering the right missus at last was very funny and was expressed with such extraordinary grimaces contortions and gesticulations that i thought i should have died of laughing at this rapturous identification of my most melancholy relation to the poor fellow Having at length extricated myself from the group which forms round me whenever I stop for a few minutes, I pursued my voyage of discovery by peeping into the kitchen-garden. I dared do no more. The aspect of the place would have rejoiced the very soul of Solomon sluggard of old. A few cabbages and weeds, innumerable, filled the neglected-looking enclosure, and I ventured no further than the entrance into its most uninviting precincts. You are to understand that upon this swamp island of ours we have quite a large stock of cattle, cows, sheep, pigs, and poultry, in the most enormous and inconvenient abundance. The cows are pretty miserably off for pasture, the banks and pathways of the dykes being their only grazing ground, which the sheep perambulate also, in earnest search of a nibble of fresh herbage. Both the cows and sheep are fed with rice flour in great abundance and are pretty often carried down for change of air and more sufficient grazing to Hampton, Mr. Blank's estate, on the island of St. Simons, fifteen miles from this place, further down the river, or rather, indeed, I should say, in the sea, for tis salt water all round, and one end of the island has a noble beach open to the vast Atlantic. The pigs thrive admirably here, and attain very great perfection of size and flavour the rice flour upon which they are chiefly fed, tending to make them very delicate. As for the poultry, it being one of the few privileges of the poor blacks to raise as many as they can, their abundance is literally a nuisance. Ducks, fowls, pigeons, turkeys, the two latter species, by the by, are exclusively the master's property. Cluck, scream, gabble, gobble, crow, cackle, fight, fly, and flutter in all directions, and to their immense concourse and the perfect freedom with which they intrude themselves even into the piazza of the house the pantry and kitchen i partly attribute the swarms of fleas and other still less agreeable vermin with which we are most horribly pestered my walk lay to-day along the bank of a canal which has been dug through nearly the whole length of the island to render more direct and easy the transportation of the rice from one end of the estate to another or from the various distant fields to the principal mill at settlement number 1. It is of considerable width and depth, and opens by various locks into the river. It has, unfortunately, no trees on its banks, but a good footpath renders it, in spite of that deficiency, about the best walk on the island. I passed again to-day one of those beautiful evergreen thickets which I described to you in my last letter. It is called a reserve and is kept uncleared and uncultivated in its natural swampy condition, to allow of the people's procuring their firewood from it. I cannot get accustomed so as to be indifferent to this exquisite natural ornamental growth, and think, as I contemplate the various and beautiful foliage of these watery woods, how many of our finest English parks and gardens owe their chiefest adornments to plantations of these shrubs, procured at immense cost, reared with infinite pains and care which are here basking in the winter's sunshine waiting to be cut down for firewood these little groves are peopled with wild pigeons and birds which they designate as blackbirds these sometimes rise from the rice-fields with a whirr of multitudinous wings that is almost startling and positively overshadow the ground beneath like a cloud I had a conversation that interested me a good deal during my walk to-day with my peculiar slave Jack. This lad, whom Mr. has appointed to attend me in my roamings about the island, and rowing expeditions on the river, is the son of the last head-driver, a man of very extraordinary intelligence and faithfulness. Such at least is the account given of him by his employers. In the burial-ground of the negroes is a stone dedicated to his memory a mark of distinction accorded by his masters which his son never failed to point out to me when we passed that way jack appears to inherit his quickness of apprehension his questions like those of an intelligent child are absolutely inexhaustible his curiosity about all things beyond this island the prison-house of his existence is perfectly intense his countenance is very pleasing mild and not otherwise than thoughtful he is, in common with the rest of them, a stupendous flatterer, and like the rest of them, also seems devoid of physical and moral courage. Today, in the midst of his torrent of inquiries about places and things, I suddenly asked him if he would like to be free. A gleam of light absolutely shot over his whole countenance, like the vivid and instantaneous lightning. He stammered, hesitated, became excessively confused, and at length replied, "Free, Missus." what for me wish to be free oh no missus me no wish to be free if massa only let we keep pig the fear of offending by uttering that forbidden wish the dread of admitting by its expression the slightest discontent with his present situation the desire to conciliate my favour even at the expense of strangling the intense natural longing that absolutely glowed in his every feature it was a sad spectacle and i repented my question as for the pitiful request which he reiterated several times adding no missus me no want to be free me work till me die for missus and massa with increased emphasis it amounted only to this that the negroes once were but no longer are permitted to keep pigs the increase of filth and foul smells consequent upon their being raised is of course very great and moreover mr Blank told me when i preferred poor jack's request to him that their allowance was no more than would suffice their own necessity and that they had not the means of feeding the animals with a little good management they might very easily obtain them however their little kale yard alone would suffice it and the pork and bacon would prove a most welcome addition to their farinaceous diet you perceive at once or if you could have seen the boy's face you would have perceived at once that His situation was no mystery to him, that his value to Mr. and, as he supposed, to me, was perfectly well known to him, and that he comprehended immediately that his expressing even the desire to be free might be construed by me into an offence, and sought by eager protestations of his delighted acquiescence in slavery, to conceal his soul's natural yearning, lest I should resent it. "'Twas a sad passage between us." and sent me home full of the most painful thoughts. I told Mr. Blank with much indignation of poor Harriet's flogging, and represented that if the people were to be chastised for anything they said to me, I must leave the place, as I could not but hear their complaints and endeavour by all my miserable limited means to better their condition while I was here. He said he would ask Mr. Blank about it, assuring me at the same time that it was impossible to believe a single word any of these people said. At dinner, accordingly, the inquiry was made as to the cause of her punishment, and Mr. Then said it was not at all for what she had told me, that he had flogged her, but for having answered him impertinently, that he had ordered her into the field, whereupon she had said she was ill and could not work, that he retorted he knew better, and bade her get up and go to work. She replied, Very well, I'll go, but I shall just come back again, meaning that, when in the field she would be unable to work and obliged to return to the hospital for this reply mr Blank said i gave her a good lashing it was her business to have gone into the field without answering me and then we should have soon seen whether she could work or not i gave it to chloe too for some such impudence i give you the words of the conversation which was prolonged to a great length the overseer complaining of sham sicknesses of the slaves and detailing the most disgusting struggle which is going on the whole time on the one hand to inflict and on the other to evade oppression and injustice with this sauce i ate my dinner and truly it tasted better towards sunset i went on the river to take my rowing lesson a darling little canoe which carries two oars and a steersman and rejoices in the appropriate title of the dolphin is my especial vessel and with jack's help and instructions I contrived this evening to row upwards of half a mile, coasting the reed-crowned edge of the island, to another very large rice-mill, the enormous wheel of which is turned by the tide. A small bank of mud and sand covered with reedy coarse grass divides the river into two arms on this side of the island. The deep channel is on the outside of this bank, and as we rowed home this evening, the tide having fallen, we scraped sand almost the whole way. Mr. Blank's domain, it seems to me, will presently fill up this shallow stream, and join itself to the above-mentioned mud-bank. The whole course of this most noble river is full of shoals, banks, mud, and sandbars, and the navigation which is difficult to those who know it well is utterly baffling to the inexperienced. The fact is that the two elements are so fused hereabouts that there are hardly such things as earth or water proper that which styles itself the former is a fat muddy slimy sponge that floating half under the turbid river looks yet saturated with the thick waves which every now and then reclaim their late dominion and cover it almost entirely the water again cloudy and yellow like pea soup seems but a solution of such islands rolling turbid and thick with alluvium which it both gathers and deposits as it sweeps along with a swollen smooth rapidity almost deceives the eye. Amphibious creatures, alligators, serpents, and wild fowl haunt these yet but half-formed regions, where land and water are of the consistency of hasty pudding, the one seeming too unstable to walk on, the other almost too thick to float in. But then the sky, if no human chisel ever yet cut breath, neither did any human pen ever write light, If it did, mine should spread out before you the unspeakable glories of these southern heavens, the saffron brightness of morning, the blue intense brilliancy of noon, the golden splendor, and the rosy softness of sunset. Italy and Claude Lorraine may go hang themselves together. Heaven itself does not seem brighter or more beautiful to the imagination than these surpassing pageants of fiery rays, and piled-up beds of orange— golden clouds with edges too bright to look on, scattered wreaths of faintest rosy bloom, amber streaks and pale green lakes between, and amid sky all mingled blue and rose tints, a spectacle to make one fall over the boat's side, with one's head broken off, with looking adoringly upwards, but which on paper means nothing. At six o'clock our little canoe grazed the steps at the landing these were covered with young women and boys and girls drawing water for their various household purposes a very small cedar pail a piggin as they termed it serves to scoop up the river water and having by this means filled a large bucket they transfer this to their heads and thus laden march home with the purifying element what to do with it i cannot imagine for evidence of its ever having been introduced into their dwellings i saw none As I ascended the stairs they surrounded me with shrieks and yells of joy, uttering exclamations of delight and amazement at my rowing. Considering that they dig, delve, carry burthens, and perform many more athletic exercises than pulling a light oar, I was rather amused at this. But it was the singular fact of seeing a white woman stretch her sinews in any toilsome exercise which astounded them, accustomed as they are to see both men and women of the privileged skin, eschew the slightest shadow of labour, as a thing not only painful but degrading. They will learn another lesson from me, however, whose idea of heaven was pronounced by a friend of mine, to whom I once communicated it, to be devilish hard work. It was only just six o'clock, and these women had all done their tasks. I exhorted them to go home and wash their children, and clean their houses and themselves, which they professed themselves ready to do, but said they had no soap. Then began a chorus of mingled requests for soap, for summer clothing, and a variety of things which, if missus only give me, we be so clean for ever. This request for summer clothing, by the by, I think a very reasonable one. The allowance of clothes made yearly to each slave, by the present regulations of the estate, is a certain number of yards of flannel, and as much more of what they call plains, an extremely stout, thick heavy woollen cloth of a dark gray or blue color which resembles the species of carpet we call drugget this and two pair of shoes is the regular ration of clothing but these plains would be intolerable to any but negroes even in winter in this climate and are intolerable to them in the summer a far better arrangement in my opinion would be to increase their allowance of flannel and underclothing and give them dark chintzes, instead of these thick carpets, which are very often the only covering they wear at all. I did not impart all this to my petitioners, but, disengaging myself from them, for they held my hands and clothes, I conjured them to offer us some encouragement to better their condition, by bettering it as much as they could themselves, enforced the virtue of washing themselves and all belongings to them, and at length made good my retreat. As there is no particular reason why such a letter as this should ever come to an end, I had better spare you for the present. You shall have a faithful journal, I promise you, henceforward as hitherto from yours ever. End of section four. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.